Hi, and welcome to the Green with Tiffany podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Page. And in this show, we'll explore topics of sustainable living, all aspects of health and wellness of people and planet, and how we're all interconnected. Join us on this journey to live better and more sustainably by improving our health, our families, and the world with the choices that we make. Welcome to the Green with Tiffany podcast. I'm Tiffany Page, your host, and I'm so happy you're here for Pet Wellness Month. I have some incredible people that I've met along the way with my journey with my little Chihuahua Lily, and I really wanted to bring them together. And so today we are with Dr. Judy Jasek. Hi, Dr. Judy. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. And she's just incredible. I'm so happy to have found her. And I just want to give a little bit of her background and then we'll jump right in. So Dr. Judy received her doctor of veterinary medicine in 1988. And before that, she got a bachelor's degree in zoology. And then you had um, a rural mixed animal practice that you were working with. I want to know what the mixed animals were. That's kind of fun. Uh, And then opened her own clinic in 2003. And then that sort of seems like where you began your journey with the integrative approach, which I'm a huge believer in. And then you sold your practice in 2015. So what I'm so curious now is then the resurgence and resuming practice now in 2019 with your your, your whole body approach to both treating and preventing disease. So I'm very happy to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Judy Jasek. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you so much for the invitation. I I, I love doing things like this because I think this type of education is so important because I see so many clients and patients that didn't didn't do differently because they didn't know differently and their outcomes could have been different had they had some different tools and resources. And the biggest resource is really knowledge. To me, this stuff is not rocket science. It's simply taking care of the pet, taking care of their bodies, building a healthy foundation and not poisoning it with things like vaccines and and pharmaceuticals. So it's really pretty simple, but it's just very easy to be swayed because that's not the message out there in mainstream veterinary medicine, unfortunately. And people, and I, I totally understand, people get very confused. They hear so much information. They hear different things from different vets, and then they go on social media and get different information there. And I understand that it's it's very, very confusing. But I think for to have truly healthy pets, we have to get to the foundation. We have to build that foundation with starting with healthy nutrition, basically supporting the body nutritionally and not poisoning it. That's it. I mean, that's, I mean, a bit oversimplified perhaps, but that's really the foundation. And, you know, I guess that's why I just, I got back into this because I just see such a need for this work and for this information to get out. And I don't know how much longer I'll, I'll be doing this. I'd love to start training some other vets in this way of thinking, but I think it's really, it's, it's more of a way of how we approach our patients, how we look at our patients. Um, Are we treating symptoms or are we treating the whole pet. And when that approach shifts, then the way we propose to help pets also shifts. And I've just found it to be much more 
that approach to be much more effective. Absolutely. And I'm hoping you do train some other up and coming veterinarians to to take this approach because we really, we do, we need this. It's so important. And even, you know, what I wanted to share, you know, all your knowledge, you know, 30 plus years uh, practicing is a big deal and you've probably seen it all. And so even me within having a little bit of knowledge in, you know, functional medicine and holistic health was still hard to navigate with my chihuahua of what was the right um, course of action. And I spoke to a lot of people. So what I'm sharing is the people that I found like yourself to be just the most helpful with the best, you know, with the best information. And so just to give a little background, I've had a little chihuahua since she was uh, a puppy, four months old, and um, I did get a late spay with her. So I'd love to hear your actually opinion on that. But anyway, so she developed a little bit of a, a little lump we had it removed and she was good for three years. And then something started to develop again. And then it sort of got bigger and bigger. That's when I found you. And we were trying to, you know, treat it, of course, also from a distance, right? But it wasn't spreading. Mm -hmm. It was sort of in place and it was starting to bother her. And so here I'm in Los Angeles, whereas Dr. Judy's in Colorado, I we had some telemedicine conferences, but I did have it removed. And then she was great for three months, which Dr. Judy told me this. She said, when you remove it, it can come back with a vengeance. And it came back, but I didn't know what else to do because it was large and growing. And so I was afraid it would burst. And the irony to that is when it came back, it actually did burst. Then I had limited things I could do with it. And so I ended up, we could actually get into, I ordered, before that happened, I did order the mistletoe that you recommended. And while in transit is when it burst. And so I ended up having a procedure with this uh, biologic immunotherapy, which is sort of still a pharmaceutical product-ish, but I, I actually added a wild card to the situation because nobody knew what it would do or how it would react and if it would work. And so I think that by doing that, I, I complicated things. So anyway, I just wanted to give the little background um, about Lily and how I found Dr. Judy. As I was researching you, I found you on Dogs Naturally in the magazine because you had done an article on cancer and I was looking for a, a route to treat cancer that was you know, more like you said, like a whole body treatment and things I could do. And so you were very helpful with that. What are your thoughts on spaying or neutering your pet? Well, I think the most important thing is to not do it too early. Um, a trend I see, and especially in the rescue organizations, which do good work, I, I understand they're trying to help unwanted pets find homes. I see um, pets that are spayed and neutered as early as two to three months, and I think that is way, way too young. If you think about it, all the the endocrine and all the hormonal systems in the body. So when I say the endocrine system, this would be the thyroid, the adrenals, you know, everything, the pituitary gland, and including the reproductive system. These are systems that run on a hormonal influence that's governed by the by the pituitary gland and by external influences, um, climate, lighting, different things like that. And I think when we take out one part of that, we run the risk of disrupting everything in that system and other things in the body. 
And so a, a dog that was bait or neutered too early might be more prone to hypothyroidism or Cushing's disease or Addison's disease, which those are diseases of the adrenal glands where the adrenal glands are either overactive or underactive. It's also been shown, and there's some pretty sound research on this now, that when pets are spayed and neutered too young before their growth plates are closed. So the growth plates are the part of the bone where the bone grows from. That's Those are the, the germ cells for that developing bone. If they're spayed or neutered before those growth plates are closed, it's actually been proven now that they stay open longer. So if you look, and I can... I can identify these dogs now. They, they're dogs that look like they're walking on stilts. They just have unusually long legs. Like, hmm, you know, I wonder what mix that dog is because it's got really, really long legs. And one of the reasons for that is the early spay and neuter. And then that can affect normal bone and joint development and contribute to things like hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia. If there's a genetic predisposition to some sort of joint abnormality, and then we do something that disrupts normal bone development and normal normal uh, growth plate function, then it just makes sense that we're setting the pet up for more problems. Anymore, I'm more and more of the mindset that I think spaying and neutering in general is not really a medical necessity. It's more of a management decision. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to deal with their female dog coming into heat. So, you know, I get it. You know, you don't, or, or the other thing is if you need to board your dog, take your dog to daycare, a lot of times they won't take a female dog that's in heat. And I've known people that have had their vacation plans disrupted for that very reason. They can't take their dog to board because she all of a sudden came into heat the day before her vacation. So for those reasons, and, and I understand that. So, but getting them spayed after they're mature. So when female dogs, after at least one heat cycle, um, ideally even two heat cycles, just to make sure that their reproductive system is mature. Because again, along with that, all the other endocrine systems are maturing as well. For male dogs, it's more of a behavioral thing. Some intact male dogs will be a little bit more aggressive. They might tend to mark more, meaning they're urine marking, they're urinating on things. Um, it, it depends a bit on their disposition, if they're going to be aggressive towards other dogs, and they will go find females in heat. It's a very powerful drive. But that being said, I have more and more clients all the time because of my approach that are leaving their pets intact, and they do just fine. They can You can train them to be well-behaved. People, you know, dogs come in, female dogs come into heat a couple times a year, as long as you can work around that. You don't necessarily have to have to spay them. And when I think about it from a holistic perspective, well, how is taking out normal body parts healthier than leaving them in and leaving the body in this balanced state? And you'll see reports, when I was in vet school, we were trained that an intact female dog is, is more likely to get mammary cancer or breast cancer. But I also think, okay, back then, or whenever these studies were done, you know, this was back in the 80s, these dogs were all probably kibble fed, so they weren't on a healthy diet, over vaccinated. And so we're not talking about healthy individuals. If we have a dog that's um, intact, either male or female, and they're fed a healthy diet, they're minimally vaccinated, we're supporting the body. I, I really think they'd be just fine and probably 
probably healthier um, being intact. Well, that's great to know. Um, I left Lily intact for these very reasons. And, you know, I was sort of questioning because a lot of research I did, even in other countries, they don't, they don't, they leave their dogs intact. This is not uh, something that they do regularly. Um, But I did hear a lot from the allopathic doctors that I, you know, it could cause memory cancer. And in the end, that's what she ended up with. But she ended up with it very late. Um, and I don't know if vaccines played a role or not, because again, I didn't know about the vaccines. When I got her, she was already had her full set and I continued until I stopped. And I want to talk to you about that as well. And one of the very interesting things is here in I don't know if it's in other parts of the country, but for sure in California, it became mandatory that you had to have your rabies vaccine like every year. And so the vet I was going to at the time, she said to me, oh, you know, Lily needs her rabies vaccine. And I said, well, Lily's not getting her rabies vaccine because Lily is a house pet and she doesn't, you know, she's not out in the wilderness with anything and she's already had one, you know, and she's good. And then she said, okay. And I thought, what do you mean? Okay. You, you said she needed one. She said, well, I have to say that by law. And then she proceeded to tell me that her own children were not vaccinated. So that, oh, that just, interesting. I was so in shock by that response. That was my last mm-hmm. time with her because I mean, I know mm-hmm. it might be hard to have a practice and do the right thing, but I, that just, I just can't. So yeah, we, we stopped her getting her vaccines around seven, but that's still, you know, a decent amount of time that she got them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they can be, you know, they can be disruptive to normal immune system function, and I think that's the key to preventing things like cancer: is keeping that immune system healthy so that it can identify abnormal cells and eliminate them. The immune system, the body's doing that all the time, you know, cleaning up waste and getting rid of cells that are damaged, which basically is what cancer is. We have normal cells that are damaged or toxic. And I think toxicity plays a big role in the formation of cancer. And then the the body just can't eliminate those cells and then they form into tumors. So I do think that vaccines can, can contribute to that. Yeah. And they're having us do them every year now. And yeah. people believe that that's the right way to go. And I, I want to let people know that, you know, there's the test, the tighter test that they can take. Uh, do you want to speak on that if, if people are really concerned? Sure. So I do. we do a lot of titer testing. What a titer test is, is we're measuring the antibodies. After, after a vaccination, we draw blood and we send it off to the lab and they tell us if the pet developed antibodies at an acceptable level to the components in the vaccine. And what I find, because we really try to do minimal vaccines here, And I find in puppies, even after just one conventional vaccine, especially if it's done a little later, like nine, 10 weeks of age, after just one set, puppies will oftentimes have an immunity, they'll have good antibody levels, and it doesn't go away because we have a lot of people that will follow that out. And so instead of getting booster shots, if they're going to, say, a boarding kennel or daycare, that will accept tighter results in lieu of a vaccine they'll get these done every couple of years. And once they build an adequate immunity, I've never seen one go away, never seen it go back down. So that tells me there's absolutely no need for booster shots. Once we know that the pet has responded, we don't need to keep doing them. And what all those shots do is just beat up the immune system. I think it it confuses the immune system because we are t- we're taking these antigens. So say in the case of Parvo, which 
is a potentially serious uh, intestinal disease. And so we give the, give the vaccine, which can help build antibodies against parvo, but it's not a natural route of exposure. So the natural route of exposure is a fecal oral transmission, meaning a dog is exposed to the stool from a dog that was infected. And they get that in their mouth and they ingest it and it goes into the GI tract and then it can start to cause disease. Well, when we inject it, yes, the immune system sees it as an antigen and builds up these antibodies. But then because it's not a natural route of exposure, the body doesn't know what to do with it. The body can't always get rid of it. Not only the antigen, but the other components in the vaccines. There are preservatives. There's mercury in a lot of vaccines. So we have heavy metals, we have antibiotics, we have other preservatives. And you know, who knows what else? I mean, I don't think there's complete truth in labeling in any of this stuff. I mean, especially after going through this whole COVID thing. Exactly. Um, they don't have to tell us the truth. And this is all the same industry. So if you have, and and I find it interesting that sometimes people don't make the crossover. They believe in a certain way for, for their health, like your veterinarian mm-hmm. didn't vaccinate her kids, but it was her job to recommend it for pets, right? Right. What a conflict of interest. Like, come on, like, how can you sleep at night? Right. You know, you believe strongly enough to not vaccinate your kids, but you'll go to work and you will make a living telling people they need to give the vaccines to their pets when you have to know that it's the same principle. The very reasons why you're not vaccinating your children are the very reasons you should not be vaccinating your pets. And when it when it comes to vaccines like rabies, I know it gets tricky because it's required for a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you people, you have to start pushing back. It is the only way we're going to get these mandates to go away. If you keep going in and saying, oh, well, they wouldn't see my pet without that rabies shot and you get it, it's just going to perpetuate it. If you want things to change, you need to go in there and you say, no, not here for a vaccine. I'm here. So you're going into the emergency room because it's the same thing here. People will be denied care sometimes if they don't have a current vaccination. And But the clients that I know that push back, that go in there and they say, no, I'm here for, because my pet is sick or injured. First of all, vaccines are labeled to only be given to healthy pets. So if they're sick or injured, the last thing we should be doing is vaccinating them. To say, I'm not here for that. I'm here for you to take care of my pet, get it stable. I have another veterinarian that I work with on vaccines and tell them that that's, and, and if they don't, and if they won't honor that, Go someplace else. I know it's hard when your pet's sick. And a lot of people like they're, I understand you're emotional and you want your pet taken care of, but you've got to stop following the mandates or they will never go away. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I know that it's hard for some people and they don't want to be the one, the, the black sheep speaking out and it can be a challenge, but you're so right. And I'm so glad. Is, is this, are these the type of things? What brought you back to come back after you sold your practice to come back and, and kind of reemerge and relaunch? Well, people started finding me. I had a three-year non-compete. So it just, because of the legalities of the, of the sale of the business, mm-hmm. I had to just walk away. I couldn't take any contact info. I couldn't contact my clients. I couldn't practice in the area for three years and I was ready for a break anyway. But then people started finding me and aren't you going to practice again? And nobody practices like you do. And I thought three years, everybody's just going to go find another vet and I'll figure out what I want to do with the rest of my, my life. So, but, um, 
that wasn't the case. They're just, actually it's becoming that there's fewer and fewer veterinarians that practice true holistic medicine. And by true holistic medicine, I mean the initial approach when we look at a patient is looking at the whole patient, not just looking at symptoms. And it requires time. And a lot of veterinarians are pressured by time, especially in the corporate practices. They have about 10 minutes, if that. About all they have time for is a quick physical exam and to write you a prescription. And the mindset, and I've heard veterinarians say this, and I've heard, I've sat in practice management lectures that have said this, that clients expect to walk out of the clinic with a bottle of pills. And if you don't send them out the door with a prescription, they're not going to be happy. Well, I say that's a bunch of bunk. And that's a nice little crutch for veterinarians. You know, they do this five minute exam, you know, talk about what's going on with the pet. And then once they can name something, this is a big thing in conventional medicine. They put a name to something, they give it a diagnosis, and then there's an accepted treatment for that. So you're not treating the pet. You're, all you're doing is treating the symptom. Pet has diarrhea, very common pharmaceutical metronidazole used all the time. It's handed out like candy. And what happens is, and it, and it can provide some temporary relief because it, it can um, eliminate some pathogenic bacteria in the gut, but it's also damaging the healthy microbiome and the healthy bacteria in the gut. And they're not addressing diet and what is, what's the underlying cause? I mean, that's what I do. What, what's causing the symptoms in the first place? Because if we don't eliminate that, they're just going to keep coming back. You know, it's like I, I heard a great analogy once that if you have mold growing in your basement because it's dark and it's moist, well, you could go down there with bleach or some antifungal, kill all that mold. But if you don't eliminate the underlying conditions that cause it to grow in the first place, it's just going to come back. And that's what symptomatic treatment is in medicine. If we're just treating symptoms and not the underlying cause, we're not going to get anywhere. And you're just, you're, that pet is then destined to be on pharmaceuticals for the rest of their life. And we're damaging the body. And like I'll see pets, so chronic diarrheas, GI upset is common in pets. And I'll see them, they've been on multiple courses of antibiotics. And I hear this story all the time. Well, they worked at first. Now they're not working. My pet's just getting sicker. Yeah, because the drugs are making the pet sicker. And so we have to get them off of the drugs. And we have a lot of work to do at that point because we have to rebuild the health of the gut and the healthy micro microbiome and heal that intestinal lining. And we can do that, but it takes time and it takes a lot of patience. So from the pet parent perspective, you have to get out of the magic bullet expectation that, oh, I'm going to go into the doctor and they're going to give me some magic formulation. And even if it's an herb, sometimes people come in and they just want the magic herb. Give me the thing that's going to make my pet better. And it doesn't work that way. The longer your pet's been sick, the longer it's going to take to help get them healthy because every pet is different. So I could take 10 pets with diarrhea and the ideal treatment for each of those could be completely different. And it starts with nutrition and we can add in herbs and we can do you know other things. We have lots and lots and lots of tools, but we have to find the plan that's ideal for that particular individual. So it 
it takes some trial and error and it, and it does take some patience. And sometimes they get worse before they get better because they go through a detox as we change diets and do different things. But if you stick it out, you end up with a healthy pet that doesn't need to be running to the vet all the time. We've, we've gotten the digestion healthy and you know what to do at home. And that's another thing that I do. I, I don't want people feeling like every little thing that comes up with their pet, they got to run them in to see me. I want people to know what to do. Okay. If your pet has a diarrhea on a weekend, um, we could do a bone broth fast. Just give their gut a rest, give them some bone broth, maybe give them a little slippery elm. Some really simple things you can do at home and I educate people, of course, if if a pet's, you know, injured or bleeding, you know, it's true emergency, then of course you would take them in. But for a lot of simple things, you can treat them at home. And and I like to empower people to do that and have a little arsenal at home. So when something happens on a Saturday night, you have at least a few things you can do instead of just doing the knee jerk, um, running the pet into the ER, and then they're put on, you know, four or five different medications, and sadly end up getting sicker in the long run. So true. And thank you for all of that information. You know, Lily had a separate issue sometimes with her um, respiratory, and it would always happen on a weekend, you know, and it would be like Saturday night, and I have to go to the emergency room, and, you know, they would get her into a good place, but sometimes they're like, okay, she has to take whatever pill it was, like, she's going to have to live on this. I'm like, "Uh, no, we're not going to have her live on that. And that's just what they know. And so you, you get frustrated, but that's, that's what they know. They, you know, and then she also had had when the tumor opened, it then ended up getting infected because it was open and they put her on antibiotic and I tried to get her off the antibiotic and then we had to do multiple rounds and then she got E. coli and I had to give her a stronger antibiotic and it was just this downward spiral. And I just know that there's a better way. Now I know, like you said, it does take patience and sometimes people just want that, that magic that magic pill, or they think initially it's the magic pill and then realize it just causes more problems or doesn't work for as long as you need it to. So you really, like you said, have to get to the root cause. So it's it's definitely a, a, a little bit of a trial and error when you're not speaking to the right people and you don't know which way to go and you're trying to be a little bit of your own doctor and, and kind of like trusting your gut. So that's why I'm so happy that you're here to share this information because it's invaluable. Well, you know, in the short term, in the short term, you know, conventional medicine can have a place because sometimes pets do just need to be stabilized, you know, but that's the, that's short term. That's where it really shines is if your pet needed emergency surgery, has an intestinal blockage or a broken leg, or, you know, um, some dogs will bloat, their stomachs will twist. They have to have surgery or they won't make it. And in those cases, it really shines. But like you mentioned before, this is all conventional doctors know is to send you out the door with that prescription. And because they feel that that is the expectation and, you know, like antibiotics, they don't know what's going on. Maybe they're not sure. Oh, they just send you home with an antibiotic prescription, see if that works. And then they'll hope that, you know, either it works or if it doesn't, you know, you'll move on and go back to your regular regular vet and they've and they've done their job. We have so many tools in our arsenal in holistic medicine from herbs and I do uh, ozone therapy, you know, you mentioned uh, mistletoe, I do mistletoe injections for cancer patients. We've started doing um, IV vitamin C therapies. We're constantly 
expanding what we're doing. And conventional vets can't speak to any of these things because they don't have any experience with them. And it's that's no fault of their own. I mean, it's not how traditional training works. You have to learn this stuff on your own. I mean, I had to go out and get you know, trainings and all these different modalities as I got interested in them. And then I find that they work. You know, I've been practicing for 35 years and I started out like, you know, every good conventionally trained veterinarian doing exactly as I was taught and selling the prescription diets and doing all of that. But then after a while, you know, vet school, you know, is not like the real world. You see these unusual referral cases because a lot of times they'll the general practitioners will refer these cases in that are more challenging. But out in the out in the real world where you're seeing more um, more routine cases, you don't get a lot of exposure to that type of thing in veterinary school. But what I found as time went on in practice that these things that they taught me and how to treat them, it, it wasn't really helping them be healthier. Pets overall were getting sicker. And that's what really got me thinking, well, what else can we be doing? And as you know, happens in the world, when you're open to information, the universe tends to provide it. So I started meeting more people that helped me learn about holistic modalities and uh, fresh food nutrition. I would have more clients coming in feeding raw food because I was open to it and I didn't berate them for it. I wanted to learn like, well, tell me how you do that because your dog looks fantastic. So help me learn how to, you know, help other people do this. And then after a while, you start to see the changes and you just see how how much better pets are and and how much healthy they are, healthier they are. And people are so happy because their pets have energy and they're not treating all these chronic diseases. And so then it's that, like, I don't need a outside research study to tell me what I've seen in my clinical practice is true. I've seen this with, with my own eyes. So when veterinarians say, well, there's no evidence to support what you're doing, like, well, I, you know, I've got about a good solid 25 years of practicing this way that tells me otherwise, that I do see the evidence. And it's really sad that that type of clinical experience and using our experience in our own minds is no longer valid. That you, if you don't have a published article in a journal that's sanctioned standard of care, then it's not valid. That's pretty sad because medicine, I believe, is an art. And we we should be looking at our patients and creating plans to help them that fits them. But it's different for each one. And I think that that loss of independent thinking and critically thinking is has gone away and it's pretty sad. It's really, uh, it is. And I'm so happy that you're here to have, you know, real life case studies to be able to speak about it and the success of it. And so you, I mean, you obviously live a, a holistic life yourself. What brought you to that world and what brought you to the love of animals? Well, I, I, well, I grew up in the country. I grew up actually back in the Chicago area, but we were on the outskirts. So we had about five acres and I just, I grew up with animals and I think it just had an appreciation. You know, we had dogs and cats and I had horses and I think I just growing up that way, it just had an appreciation for animals and, and nature and then I th I think a, a big part of it too is I got really fascinated with medicine and just 
learning how things worked. Like that became really fascinating to me. So kind of blending those two, the the love of animals and wanting to help take care of animals, but then going into that deep dive of, wow, how does a kidney really work? Like how, how is this stuff all put together in the body? That That became really fascinating for me. And so I ended up out here in Colorado, Colorado State University, um, going to uh, going to veterinary school. And and like you said, I've always for myself for many, many years, I I've just been really interested in health because I believe our bodies are a gift and we we have a responsibility to take care of them. If we are not taking care of our bodies, then we are really doing an injustice to this beautiful gift that we're given. And we only have one and it's up to us to take care of it. And I love to be active. We are avid hikers and campers. We go backpacking. I I trail run and I love it. I love being physically active. I just turned 60 years old this year. So you don't do that kind of stuff if you're not taking care of yourself. Because people will say, I know people much younger than I am that will say, oh, I'm too old to do that. I'm like, 45. Come on. I hear you know? people now in their 30s saying like, oh, I'm so yeah. old. I'm like, what? Don't even put that out there. Those words shouldn't even leave your oh, lips. It's so crazy. What was the, um, do you have an unusual animal that you worked on when you were doing a mixed animal uh, practice? Oh gosh. Well, when I was in the mixed animal practice, I, I started out, it was in rural Idaho. It was in Pocatello, Idaho area. And we did everything. And it was so much fun for being a young veterinarian. I mean, I think I was 26 years old when I started there. And, and, um, it was like the old, the old James Harriet books, you know, the all creatures great and small for anybody that's familiar with those was about a veterinarian in England. And he was just the country vet and how he traveled the countryside taking care of animals. And I loved it. I remember waking up every morning, like, Oh my gosh, I just can't believe I get paid to do this. Like the, this is a job because it was, it was really a lot of fun. And we saw dogs and cats and then we saw, but it was farm country. So we saw horses and cattle and sheep and pigs and any, pretty much anything that would come in the door. Sometimes people would have pocket pets, you know, people would have rats for, for pets. Remember we had a, um, like a traveling photographer come through once with his uh, pet monkey that he would have, you know, take, have people would take pictures with the monkey. And I think we, I think it had to be tested for AIDS because oh, wow. it was a primate. So to travel, there was certain testing requirements. So yeah, you'd run into all sorts of, all sorts of interesting things. So that was, that was really fun to be out of school and, you know, out in farm and ranch country. I've always loved the wide open spaces. I've never been a city girl. So yeah, um, looking to get back into some more wide open spaces, get more out of the city again here. But, but I always love that and, and love that lifestyle. And as time goes on, it is much harder on your body and on your routine and lifestyle to practice large animal because you're out in the middle of the night and it's harder on you physically. So working on dogs and cats uh, became a little a little easier, a little more comfortable physically, but also it's impossible to keep up on all the different species. You know, I mean, we learn about dogs and cats and cows and horses and pigs and chickens. Well, as as things advance, if you're going to keep up on all those species, it's it's pretty challenging. So anymore, it really makes more sense, I think, to kind of hone in on on um, the species that you really want to work in and 
And uh, it's kind of a different mindset too. You know, pets are dogs and cats for the most part. They're, they're family members. They're they're children in the family. So it's a little different mindset than working on a cow where there's, it's more of an economic influence. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but just kind of depends what what sort of practice angle, you know, do you, do you, do you want to take and what sorts of situations do you enjoy working in? And do you think your alternative, uh, I call them like so-called alternatives. They shouldn't even be called alternatives because really some of these modalities like an acupuncture or something has been around thousands of years. So it was, it was doing it the right way to beginning, you know, and now we've moved to these more common, you know, like recent treatments, you know, like a chemotherapy or radiation that, you know, really don't give you the desired results, if any at all. But, you know, when you started moving into this area, was it, I mean, it's still not considered common, although people seem to be more open to it. So was it, you know, was it really hard to bring that forward? Were people into it? Do you, how, how were you received, I guess, when you were moving into this more holistic approach or? Yeah, I'd say initially it was more awkward because I was changing mm -hmm. from how I practice. So I had more, you know, more clients that were more conventionally oriented. And now all of a sudden I'm doing this different stuff. And so it was a mixed bag. Some people like that. Some people thought, man, it's too kooky. I'm going someplace else. So it was tricky, you know, from just a running the business perspective, you know, you need to pay the bills and keep your business going and keep people interested. So I sort of hit the road. I did a lot of um, farmers markets. I'd have booths at different events. And so I could talk to people because then I found that I could talk to people face to face and have a discussion about why I was doing what I was doing and why I was treating this way. People understood it. You can't put that on paper in an ad, you know, in the newspaper Yeah, way back when, when we actually had yellow pages ads <laughs> on dating myself, but it took a while for it to come full circle. But now um, what's happened is I have people seeking me out because they are the word has gotten out that I am practicing differently than conventional veterinarians and, and more and more people are seeking that out and there was not that many of us doing it. So it's now come full circle where I am in demand and people are, are looking for me. I don't have to go looking for people that are interested in this way of treating their pets. I'm so happy to hear that. And what a great idea to go to farmer's markets like that early on and speak to people. That was That's really great. Well, I'm happy to have found you. And it's not easy finding. I really, you know, that I came across that article, luckily. But, you know, to search for holistic vet or fun, I didn't use the word functional initially, and I don't think I used the word integrative. And so it was really hard to find. And it shouldn't be that hard to find. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I wanted to, to touch on is a little bit of EMF, electromagnetic frequency, or you might hear electromagnetic radiation, um, and how that could affect your pets, because this is going to be a bigger and bigger issue as 5G gets implemented um, throughout here in Los Angeles. It's going up uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it's shocking to me to see that these towers are even just small mm -hmm. ones are being uh, put on the city side of the street, but in front of people's homes. And people either don't even know what it is or don't think about it, um, uh, but they really have no recourse of what they can do about it. So I see many people with their pets on their lap and they're holding their phone, doing things on their phone over their, over their dog's, you know, little body. I just wanted to know what you thought about that. Oh yeah. I think it can be very, very dangerous for pets. And I think it can explain some of the symptoms that we see that we can't really come up with a reason for, 
you know, like I said, I always like to dig down and try to find the underlying causes and the reasons why things are showing up in a pet, because then we can address them. Because if, you know, it's something in the diet or something that's going on that we can eliminate, well, and the pet gets better. That's all we have to do. But I think with things like EMF, these radiations are very disruptive to normal um, cellular function. You know, we're, our bodies and our pet pets' bodies are mostly water and frequency has a huge impact on the on the quality of water, which then affects, uh, you know, cellular communication, how well all the systems in the body function. Um, frequency has a has a huge amount to deal with this. Where so they talk about like Schumann frequency, which is the natural frequency of the earth. That's why when we go outside in nature, we feel so much better because we are exposed to these natural natural frequencies. Well, when you're in a you know, concrete building or whatever the building's made out of, and you're separated from the earth, you know, like I'm upstairs in my house right now, I'm not on the earth. And then if you are bombarding yourself with these frequencies, so from the Wi-Fi, now we have, we don't have Wi-Fi on in our house. All of our computers are hardwired in. And I make a conscious effort to keep myself separate from my cell phone. Distance does matter you're holding your cell phone up to your ear, you're keeping it in your pocket, you're directly exposing your body to these unhealthy frequencies and the same with your pet. If your pet's, you know, sitting by you and you've got your phone right there, you have your laptop, you have the Wi-Fi on, and where does your pet nap? I've talked to people like with pets that with just really tough like autoimmune conditions and things that are seizures, seeing more and more seizuring pets. And I always ask, where does your pet sleep? And, you know, if they're sleeping in your office by your router when you're working all day, you need to eliminate that or at least turn your Wi-Fi off at night so that everybody in the house, and this is for human health, not just pet health, Mm -hmm. so that everybody in the house has a chance to rest and rejuvenate and heal and get, you know, get outside, get you know, out into nature more so that at least you're getting a, getting a break and your pet's getting a break. Take your pets outside. They love to be outside. So they're, they're getting a break from that. And you can get a meter. They're not very much money and you can walk around your house and you could at least identify what areas of your house have the, the strongest EMF frequencies. My husband did this and the, in the highest um, emissions in our home, was our cordless landline, which we no longer have because we were mostly using our cell phones anyway. But that really surprised us. We thought it would be our cell phones or our computers or something. Right. But no, yeah. it was our, our, our cordless landline. So you just don't know. And so we eliminated that. Cell phones are a culprit, but just don't keep them near you. If you can keep them out of your bedroom at night, um, don't, don't have that close exposure. I know people that you know, sleep with their phones under their pillows. Like, don't do that. It's right there by your brain, you know, and, and where's your pet sleeping? You know, keep your pets away from these, you know, the 5G towers, it's, they're going up everywhere and we're not going to be able to fully get away from them, but as best you can, or, or again, just giving your body and your pet's body breaks from it by turning the Wi-Fi off at night or hardwiring in your your computers more. You can turn down the power on your router if you don't need all the power that it offers. Uh, sometimes 
you can turn it down. We can't get away from it completely, but I think it's really important that we do the best you can. We we live in a toxic world, sadly, and we cannot get away from all of these insults. We don't know exactly what's in our water, so we do the best we can. We filter it. Um, what they're spraying in the skies, you know, what what our neighbors are. I see people in my neighborhood that are out there with their Roundup spraying weeds. Mm. So we're we are constantly surrounded by these things. We we can't completely eliminate them. That's why it's so important to mitigate the things that we can. So keeping pets healthy with the best nutrition. Don't put vaccines in their body unnecessarily. Don't do pharmaceuticals unnecessarily. And if you can do things like hardwiring your computers or at least turn your Wi-Fi off at night, all of these things can it can make a big difference. And with the way the state of our world, I mean, we have to do the things that we can that we can change because a lot of things that we can't. But then our pets will be healthier and be better able to handle some of those other toxins that we can't completely eliminate. So I just wanted to mention that. So Lily uh, almost had her 17th birthday. So she, you know, she had oh, a- wow. she, had a, she made it a long she time. She had a great run. And, all, you know, the thing was, is all her organs were very strong. Her heart was strong, kidneys, liver. She didn't have any other issues. Even her um, eyesight was excellent. And I really attribute mm-hmm. that to keeping her intact. You know, but I, I, you know, obviously I don't know for sure. And then where the mammary cancer came from, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it could have been vaccines. I mean, I, she always fed, she was always fed human food. She never had kibble. I did move her to raw. It was a scary thing for me to do, but I did move her to raw in tw- just, you know, last year. And she was into it for a while. She was really into it. She ended up gaining a ton of weight because I really didn't know how to portion it right. But then that worked out because then when she, you know, things got a little more progressed. She didn't eat as much and she was able to, she had weight on her. So she actually then trimmed down and then she looked great until her, her last days. But, um, well, she had a, you know, she had a good long life. And, you know, I, I, when I hear cases like that, I think, but if she, if you hadn't been doing all the things that, that you had been doing, she probably, she wouldn't have lived anywhere near that long. So yes, it's tragic that she ended up with the cancer, but she survived it and she lived with it for, you know, a good amount of time. And she had a very good long life that you probably wouldn't have had if you hadn't been doing the things that the things that you had been doing. And now you know some new things to do. Absolutely new things. And yeah, so if I in, in the future is also I want to reach out, you know, let people know and and have them here is, you know, if if you if you are going to a traditional doctor and whatever route you're taking just don't take that as the sole answer because I was told the removal of the little lump is good. She's good. And then if you start to feel something, let us know. Well, then I started to feel something and I would let them know. And they kept saying, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine. Until she wasn't fine. But that's not what the, I didn't have that in the, I didn't know that was part of the plan. And that time, if I had done maybe some supplements, maybe some vitamin C therapy, maybe some, you know, if I had known to do some treat, you know, treatments that would treat her really well with preventative, maybe that would have been, you know, a good course of action. So I know coulda, shoulda, woulda, but I want this to help other people because I took, you know, the answers that I got at, at, at first as the, the, the final answers and Absolutely. We're not. Yeah. You know, and you you can only do what, you know, you can only do what you know, mm-hmm. right? And so 
live and learn. But I will tell you the one one big shift I have made in my practice is I used to recommend removing every little lump and bump that popped up and now I don't. Unless they are causing a problem, like they're near a joint, it's affecting mobility, or sometimes tumors get ulcerated and they're open and bleeding and getting infected, things like that. But as a general rule, a little lump pops up, I leave it alone and I support the pet. And because I look, okay, this is a sign from the body. Something is out of balance. So then we, you know, do the gamut of, you know, nutrition and minimizing vaccines, maybe some herbal support, things like that. But I think the reason surgery is can be so disruptive and why these tumors grow back with a vengeance is because we're disrupting the body's natural mechanisms for managing this. So there's a lump there and we can support the body and I've seen lumps shrink and go away. So we, we can do that. Doesn't always happen, but I have seen that happen. Once we do surgery and they go in and they get these big wide margins, we're disrupting normal um, circulation, normal detoxification in that area by like the lymphatics Removing lymph nodes is, in my opinion, a big mistake because we're, we're eliminating that portion of the immune system that the body can use to help drain toxins from the area. And so when we do get regrowth, the body's just got nothing to fight with there locally. We can still support the body systemically, but we've eliminated a lot of that local support that the body can bring in to help heal and and detoxify that area. And that's why I think tumors grow back so aggressively. If they if they come back after a surgery, like I said, it's 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 usually with a vengeance. And I think that's why. Well, it's such good information. I could I could keep talking to you. We have so much to talk about, but I want to just talk a little bit about the three like three tips. I think we've given many tips of things to do, but just to condense it here at the end is you think diet sounds like diet and nutrition and Supplements sound to be like first and foremost. Absolutely. So supporting the body, I mean, I think the basic principles are we support the body nutritionally. So that's with a fresh species appropriate diet. I am a proponent of raw feeding, um, but there's, you know, you can do lightly cooked meals. You can do dehydrated and freeze dried. If you just aren't comfortable with raw, there are workarounds, but no kibble. None, None of these, I don't, there's no such thing as a good kibble. They're all full of highly processed carbohydrates and other toxins. They are not good for your pets. And dogs don't need grains to be healthy. That's that's a big misnomer. That's another another topic, maybe <laughs> another podcast. But um, but the whole heart health and grains they don't they don't need grains. That's a big uh, propaganda thing there. Um, and then the other thing is we stop poisoning them. So we back off on things like vaccines and unnecessary pharmaceuticals and even environmental toxins. So, you know, if your neighbors are spraying with the Roundup, then maybe you need to go get your dog outside of your neighborhood. And hopefully you're not spraying with Roundup in your yard, but you definitely don't want to be doing that. So your pet's not having a direct exposure. But then if your neighbors are, well, don't, you know, get them outside of your neighborhood you know, to walk them. So eliminate any potential toxins, make sure there's, you know, the water's filtered. Um, they, things can come in from, from all angles. And then I think, I think stress is huge for our pets. And I think it gets really overlooked. 
if you're going to get a dog, you know, pay attention to what that breed is meant to do and what what lifestyle it's meant to lead and what you want to do with your dog. If you're going to get a high drive dog like a German Shepherd, that dog needs a job to do. Every single you got to be working that dog's mind and body. And if you don't, they are going to they're going to be disasters. They are not going to be good pets. They're going to be agitated. Um, they can sometimes be aggressive because they have a lot of drive and you have to help them direct that. You know, if you just want a dog to lay around the house, hang out with the kids, golden retriever, or even the giant breeds, like Great Danes, Great Danes pretty much just lay around. They're big, but they'll eat a lot. So be pay attention. If you're going to do raw feeding, it does cost more. So take that into account. If you're going to get a big dog, make sure you can afford its care. Because if you can't, you know, that's that's back on you. You know, I hear that from people. I can't afford, you know, I can't afford to feed that kind of food. How can you afford not to? I mean, do you want to be treating cancer in five years? Exactly. You know, that's, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's the way I see it. But, you know, pay attention to your pet's lifestyle. That Dogs are not people in dog suits. You know, they, they need to be dogs. Let them get out um, with, you know, play dates, play with other dogs, get out, sniff around, do things that dogs enjoy. If you have a herding breed, they love to herd. So get them out into, you know, circumstances where maybe they can chase things around besides, you know, the neighborhood kids, which is usually very popular, you know, so pay attention to what they need to be mentally healthy. Dogs are not individual animals. I mean, they, 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 they're pack animals. They like to live in a pack. And if you're going to leave a dog alone all day for eight or 10 hours, yeah, don't be surprised if they're chewing stuff up because that's not what they're meant to be doing. So you have to look at what's a healthy lifestyle for the pet, because I think stress and the people in the household, you know, dogs will pick up on their stress as well. So you, you, you have to be aware of how your energy is affecting your dog. So, you know, get out for, get out for more walks. It'll help you both, both de-stress. But I think we need to look at having a healthy mental and emotional life for our pets as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Lily, I've always wanted a chihuahua. She's a little six and a half pound chihuahua. And, um, so not hard to feed. Loved, loved the outdoors though. She was definitely a dog. She loved to hike. Um, but she also liked Mm -hmm. to go to outdoor cafes and sit outside, (laughs) which is what her mama liked to do. So that was fun. There you go. Yeah. That in common. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you have a chihuahua as well. Little Wiley. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's my, he's my little old man. We, he still eats pretty well and pees and poops and we go for walks. I call him more like sniffs, but you know, so he's not physically doesn't do what he used to do, but you know, dogs love to use their noses. So just to go out and, you know, we hang out and let him sniff around for 20 or 30 minutes. He loves that. You know, I don't know why it's fun, but it's fun for him. So when we go on dog walks, those are his walks. You know, I want to go out and exercise. I, I do something different. Wonderful. Well, I am. I, I thank you for all that you do for our fur babies, and I'm so happy that you. Uh, I didn't even know that you had taken that break, so I'm glad that you came back and that you're in full swing. And you know, we need you. We really do need you, and we want to get that message out there that there are these other ways. Because I feel like 
pets are ailing more than ever before and they don't need to be. We need to kind of right. change the message and un- unlearn what we've learned. And you can find Judy Jasek, Dr. Judy Jasek at um, Animal Healing Arts. I'll put that link. Is it animalhealingartsvet.com? Uh, it's well, AHA, just right. the initials, AHA vet, AHA yes. vet.com. AHA vet.com. Where did that name come from? Animal Healing Arts it explains it perfectly. Well, I, I, like I said before, I really do believe that, that medicine is an art and that practitioners are artists. We, we shouldn't just be following down this road of just doing what we're told and sticking to standard of care. I do think it's an art. When we look at the individual patient as an as an individual, and so I just I wanted to have the word art in there, and I liked healing arts, and I work on animals, so there you go. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, thank you for choosing to care, and thank you for being here, and thank you for being so vocal with your message and what we're trying to get across and let people know about. So thank you, Dr. Judy Jasek, Pet Wellness Month. Please uh, definitely subscribe and share. I would love this to be shared. I want more people to know how to better handle. We need to get, we need to get the word out. So I appreciate you doing what you do too. So, so important. Knowledge is power these days and we need to get people the right information. Absolutely. So thank you so much for listening to Green with Tiffany and we will hear you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. You can find me at greenwithtiffany.com and on Instagram. Till next time, choose to care.